Hello everyone and welcome to the O Studio podcast, where we delve into the art of feeling better. My name is Tim Bateman, founder of O Studio, a New Zealand wellness franchise that's here to help you relax, recover and improve your health and well-being. Today, Maddie and I are chatting with Pete Smith, a medical nutritionist who has a raft of knowledge on all things well-being. Today we discuss something that affects all of us, whether you know it or not, and that is stress. Please relax and enjoy. Pete Smith, welcome to the O Studio podcast. So good to have you in here. Thank you, Tim. Um, hey, so I know Maddie knows you well. Um, he speaks about you all the time, to be honest. I think it's, there's his wife, his kids, and you're sort of sitting right <laughs> in behind. He seems to you seem to pop up in a lot of our conversations around what we're trying to do at O Studio. But for people that don't know you and haven't heard of you. Can you give a bit of a, a bit of a brief sort of rundown on who you are, what you do, and why or how you got here? Really, sure. Um, so I'm a medical nutritionist. I work uh, in the area of pre-health, as opposed to post-health. So post-health is your traditional. Um, public health system, private health system, where essentially you need to be sick and you go into the system and there's a series of protocols that they were used to deal with those things. They tend to focus on on the consequences, like as in symptoms of health, as opposed to causes. Mm. Whereas we tend to be down the other end of the, uh, the continuum uh, and looking at that cause reversal and dealing with consequences. So ideally around prevention, if we can, mm-hmm. uh, identifying causes and reversing those causes and as a result of that, the consequences would go as well. Interesting. So I've been doing this now for God knows how many years. It's a bit embarrassing really to talk about it, but uh, on and off for a a long, long time. So uh, I work in uh, two or three different fields, one one of which is uh, in elite sport, high-performance sport, Mm -hmm. uh, male and female athletes. And there's a science called performance wellbeing, which Mm -hmm. is – I guess it's an area we've we've sort of uh, developed and evolved over the time. So that's a big part of what I do, so both here in New Zealand and overseas. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other is in the corporate area, uh, and then also probably because of my age, um, increasingly working in um, the senior senior field because the dynamics there are are quite a bit different too. So they tend to be the three areas that that I personally work in. The interesting thing about those three years to me is that they all seem to be areas where there's an obvious need. You know, as you get older, you start realising the impacts of, you know, lack of health, you know, things can start popping up and starting to realize. I mean, I'm starting to get sore standing up out of a, out of a chair <laughs> now too. And so my health has become a little bit more conscious. When I was in my 20s, you know, I hardly thought about it. High performance sports, obviously another area where people are always trying to find these these little extra feels. So it makes sense to me that you'd be working in areas where people really understand it. I suppose, you know, one thing that we are here at O Studios, we're for just the everyday person. We're not for high performance athletes. We're not just for people who really need this little one or two percent. Um, so do you think there has been a more move, a bit of movement into the sort of general market or are you still seeing that it's really in that sort of those? Oh, it's certainly changed. There's no doubt about it. You know, if, if I go back even five years, you know, and you explain to people what you do, they sort of look at you as though you live up in a tree, you know. So it's, you know, it's certainly changing. And I, and I think the world is understanding that um, if we can, instead of just dealing with symptoms of things, um, and we can actually go back and try and identify what those causes are and, re- and attack those causes, then people are going to, 
you know, get some really good changes out of it. In some respects, we've got the whole health thing around the wrong way. Mm. You know, when you think about it, we, we deal with treating disease. When in actual fact, we should be placing all our emphasis on uh, creating health. Yes. And then we wouldn't have disease. Yes. So that's, like that's what we're trying to do or part of what we're trying to do. And I can't echo that more. I think, you know, we think about... Um, you know, almost ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. And I heard a really good analogy on a different podcast the other day and it was like, it was about a tree and it said like, if a, if a tree is, um, you know, is dying or not growing well, like an arborist or a, or a botanist would come and the first thing they do is test the soil. They look what's in rather than trying to, you know, fix the, the problem that the tree is manifesting. And I think that's the same as us, right? It's sort of like the, the symptom that's manifesting is solvable with, numbing or whatever the a medication might do but the stripping it back to what's actually causing that might be completely unrelated to the medication or the the, the treatment is trying to actually the problem it's trying to solve yeah that's right well i mean nothing in the body works in isolation so if you just go and target one particular area inevitably you're going to get failure because other areas will go and pick up the same thing. So it's if i continue the analogy of a tree so you know when things occur within the whole health field. If you look at the top of the tree, you've got you've got microorganisms and mm. microorganisms go and collectively become there's molecules and then molecules become cells. Cells form tissue and it's, this is moving down the tree. Mm. Tissue uh, collectively becomes organs and organs collectively become systems. Mm. So what tends to happen in a in a post health system is the low hanging fruit fruit which is you know the the system health uh, and organ health is where we tend to go. So, mm. you know, oh, you've got something wrong with your digestive system or hormonal system or, you know, neurological system, and that's where we tend to target it, where most of the health issues that we experience when we go back to cause occur back at our cellular and a molecular level. Mm. And understanding that we need to go up the tree to go mm. and deal with those things allows us to find those causes and then address them. Mm. It makes perfect sense. And I think, you know, we could talk about a number of things today and we sort of already have, but as Tim said, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of your work. And when I, when I reached out to you about, you know, wanting to jump on those studio podcasts, I sort of suggested a bunch of ideas that we could talk about or topics we could talk about. And you said we should talk about stress. Mm. And so my first question is why do you think it's important to be talking and educating people about stress? Well, uh, you know, with the way society runs at the moment, uh, I think it's fair to say that stress probably contributes to more non-communicative disease or preventable disease than any other factor on the planet. It's a, it's, wow. a mass, it's a massive issue. And there's a little bit of misunderstanding about it because people just think, think stress is that emotional stress, the stuff that happens up between your, your uh, you know, mm. between your uh, ears. But the reality is... The body only has one response to, to stress, and it's exactly the same. So, you know, it doesn't recognise whether it's only minor stress or serious stress. There's the same response, and there's a cascade of things that I think we'll, we'll have a bit of a look at uh, in a moment, and just to explain to people what what actually happens. So that's that's the issue. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, we can go into a lot of detail. Mm. Right? Yeah, like because because like. What, like what is that? Like what is stress? I suppose would be a place to take. You sort of mentioned there that most people, when when people think about stress, they think about oh me being a little bit a bit frustrated, a bit annoyed, 
you know, maybe feeling um, like managing some relationship stuff or managing some stuff at work or like just trying to, but yeah, you're right. It seems to be more like in the psychological and emotional space that most people think about stress. So um, what is it, you know, okay. and how, how would you define it? Well, it's anything that causes a chemical reaction within the body and the chemical reaction is uh, the kicking off of a series of chemicals or neurotransmitters um, they're called catecholamines. They're, they're things around um, adrenaline, noradrenaline, dopamine, cortisol, um, and a series of others that, that jump through the system. So most of the stress that we experience as individuals is not actually emotional stress or the stress response we experience. The stress comes from what's happening physiologically in our system. So if we have insulin resistance, if we have food intolerances or allergies, if we have sleep issues, if we have uh, indigestion issues or digestive system issues or bowel issues or migraines and headaches, the body responds to that stress, the inflammation often in the system, uh, exactly the same as it would to stress that's emotional. So you've mentioned a few things there around sort of adrenaline, you know, noradrenaline, dopamine, um, like epinephrine. I think is one of those other ones that sort of. Well, they're, they're exactly the same. So noradrenaline yeah. is norepinephrine. Got yeah. So exactly the same. So it's just so, it's just easier to say adrenaline so, and and noradrenaline, which so, is so nor, noradrenaline is something that sort of flows through the system and, mm-hmm. and it has. It's this small amounts going through all the time, and it, it has um, roles around our attention and hormonal balance and shift. Uh, adrenaline is in direct response to stress. Yep. So the the question there for me is because I've heard those in a context of these are good things to produce, you know. So like jumping in an ice bath or doing a training session, the things that are re- released into your body in a positive sense, and we're talking about stress in a negative lens here. So is there good stress and is there bad stress, I suppose? 100%, yes. So so good stress is what we refer to as acute stress, which is short-term stress. So if we use the analogy of an ice bath, jumping into an ice bath or exercising or dieting would be examples of acute stress. So we do it for a short period of time and the benefits to the body uh, are, are quite positive in most occasions. So the catecholamines, which are the chemicals that you're yeah. referring to, there's a, an immediate release. I think we're going to talk more about this when we do the uh, the cold cold immersion um, podcast, but they are released uh, and they come into our system and they, they cause a whole pile of physiological changes that are generally beneficial, one of which is the release of dopamine into your system. Mm. Uh, you know, and that, again, most people understand that that's your your motivational chemical. It's the one that improves desire and wants you to go and, you know, achieve things. So there are some definite advantages. The problem we have, Tim, is that, that we get the acute stress and those are the responses that the body receives. But then when we have chronic stress, mm-hmm. the body experiences exactly the same response, but it's long time, long, long term. So, you know, we are designed right, right back in our uh, very early um, evolutionary days to uh, two or three times a week go out and catch our, our food, catch our prey, and the body would have that stress response, that short-term acute stress response as a result of that. Mm. 
Uh, and then once we've got the food, we come home, we relax, and the, the response turns off. Mm. That's known as a, a sympathetic nervous system response or the fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, what's happening is that we're simply not turning that off. Got you. So we're not activating that, the, the sympathetic no, or the parasympathetic. The parasympathetic, yeah. yeah. So the ability to be able to convert from sympathetic to parasympathetic is the key. Yeah, got and you. And there are you know, certain things that we can do that, that – help us do that. Uh, There are certain times of the day that it's better to do it. But the reality is people should be looking for that. We refer to it as you time or parasympathetic time Mm -hmm. uh, every single day. And it's just engaging in some activities that allows you to move out of that um, sympathetic nervous system response. Is that the sort of stage you've heard it be described like there's, there's, there's fight, flight, and there's rest and digest? Is as it, as so it, parasymp- parasympathetic is the rest and digest response, yeah. Yeah. And, think, and where the digest comes from is that, you know, often when we're in that worry, hurry, flurry type environment, which is, puts us into that sympathetic response, you know, we don't stop to eat. We just, you know, we're just going all the time. And, you know, and we can very be very stereotypical about it, but, you know, young families – you know, young mums, um, executive women, executive males, you know, they're just constantly going. They start the day, they wake up in a sense of anxiety mm-hmm. and that stress then can continue on for the rest of the day and it doesn't turn off. And the problem is we normalise it. Yeah. So you have a day where mm, it's a bit better than what it was, you know, two days ago, so I'm feeling better today. But the reality is it's still a major issue. Yeah, yeah. And when this occurs there's a whole series of things that that occur. So number one, our our, our reproductive system turns off because if you're running away from a tiger, you're not going to reproduce. Our digestive system turns off. We're not going to stop and eat if we're in that fight-flight response. Uh, Our immune system turns off and often it's as a result of some of the chemicals such as cortisol that's released into our system. So that turns off. Uh, the body goes and liberates glucose from our cell, so often our muscles in the liver, into the body and puts it into our bloodstream. Wow. All right? And so in order for us to have the energy to be able to go away and run away, you know, so those are the acute response, responses that are really good, mm. all right? But if we are continuing those things every single day, then we've got Big issues. So, just so I'm going to, I'm going to re-explain this in my own head, so I can feel like I see whether I've got it or not. So, there's there's two base forms of stress. There's acute stress and there's chronic stress. So, acute stress is, he- is a healthy form of stress, so that you get that from. So, when you eat, it puts your body in an, an acute stress form, which activates some, you know, um, digestive system. It activates a lot of the stuff that you need to or, activate. Or if and, you fast. Or if you fast. Yeah, yep. that's a exercise. Yeah. Um, fasting, you know, being in an ice bath. So creating a stress response, an acute stress response is healthy. But what I'm hearing is we stay in that, we stay in that space a whole day well, for weeks on end. For life for some people. And so, you know, and so, so and you, you sort of said, like, uh, that means you can't reproduce, that means you can't digest, that means you can't. So all these things, are, I mean, I think it's pretty important to be able to digest our food mm-hmm. and be able to reproduce and be yeah, able to Yeah, well, actually. our digestive system changes, right? So there's there's changes in um, the pH of the acidity um, within our stomach, for example, our digestive en- enzymes, they turn off. Wow. Right? So it's those sorts of things that they're fine when we're in that acute state. Yeah. But 
when we're looking at that chronic state, yeah. we do not want those things happening all the time. And that then, then just creates a, a cascade of events that happen around our whole digestive system. So it can be intolerances and allergies and sensitivities. Uh, it can be our gallbladder. It can be our, our bowel uh, consistency. Can be particularly our gut microbiome, which is uh, has a because our gut microbiome changes when we get into that state. I'm, I'm starting to get an understanding, really, of of why you said at the start here um, that stress is responsible for the majority of preventable illness. You know, that's what you mentioned right at the start. Mm. I can, I can, I mean, it makes sense. You know, if, if those parts of your body aren't working well because you're in a constant state of stress. Um, it doesn't make for very good, you know, downstream effects. Mm. I think the big part that you said there for me was that you you define stress as the response that your um, body has, and from what I'm sort of understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that your body responds the same way to, um, you know, in you know evolutionary we've evolved that might be, um, you know, a, a literally a life or death moment and where our body needs to be flooded with all these chemicals and all these different systems need to be switched off in order for us to be able to survive. But now we that, that same system is activated on a daily consistent basis and our bodies haven't evolved to be able to cope with that. Is that right? Very succinct. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And so that means we have to adapt. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have to understand how to turn those systems down and yep. or off. And to be perfectly honest, we need to do it ideally in a daily, on a daily basis. And that then looks at, well, what are we doing? What are our, what are our habits around that? You mm. know, what are our habits around food? What are, are our habits around sleep? What are, are our habits around exercise? Because they all have... Um, a huge bearing on whether we can turn or transition between those two mm-hmm. different systems. Yeah, and we absolutely want to get into you know practical ways to help deal with that. And I think I'll just take a step a little bit further back is what are the negative consequences of us being in that state for a long period of time? We've talked about the short-term effects of, you know, like what the systems that are shutting off, body's not operating properly. You know, when we talk about the scale of a lifetime, what in your work and, and from the research you've done, what are you seeing are the negative effects in people who live in a constant state of stress? Well, we just go back to those things that turn off. So we just take one. So if your immune system turns down, right, or your, your immune system becomes suppressed, that means that, when pathogens come into your system, and they are pathogens are negative bacteria, viral infections, bacteria infections, parasites, etc. When they come in, their body's ability or defence response is minimal. It's down. All right, and so that can be a long-term issue. So we start to see people who are getting sick regularly. They are struggling to recover or taking a long time to recover. Or they may have uh, wounds that are taking a long time to heal. Or they're constantly being sick all the time. Mm. And or they're fatigued all the time. So that's one, one area. Where the body constantly has to liberate glucose out of the system to put into the bloodstream to be able to do that. Even though you're not eating, even though you're not exercising, glucose still needs to go into the system to be able to keep that running. All right? And that means that 
you're likely to have a high insulin response. That insulin response is likely to lead to uh, insulin resistance, and insulin resistance can result then in type 2 diabetes, uh, but you'll also put on weight. So oh, that's, wow. that's, a, that's a consequence of stress. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, if your gut microbiome changes, uh, I could talk for an hour just on that particular theme. Because when you get a state of dysbiosis where your non-beneficial species are greater than your beneficial, then that has a cascading effect from every area of the body, from the brain all the way through down to your soles of your feet. So there are significant changes that come out of that. So we we start to see, and even though there's not a lot of research linking, linking it, because everyone tends to research in isolation, we know that... Uh, it'll have a bearing on hormonal balance. It'll have a bearing on um, uh, digestive issues, things like uh, diverticulitis, uh, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease. Just looking at your standard um, IBS, those things that are, in some cases, at a low level and subclinical, they then start to eventually manifest over time, and that's the over time type. Of of things that's mm. the long-term transitions that's that's really really important and we've talked about this before so we have two lifespans all right so we have our chronological lifespan so we might live through to 80 uh, and we have a health lifespan and so ideally we want that health lifespan rolling with the chronological one so basically we die healthy mm. um, but what tends to happen, and stress is a major contributor, it's not the only reason, but it's a major, major contributor to this, is that our health lifespan conks out in our 50s mm. or 60s. And we still, you know, the third trimester of our life, maybe, you know, 20 or 30 years. And so, you know, you think about people who, this is why, the, you know, the work in the 60 plus or the, in the senior years, you want to make sure that people, they've worked hard all their lives to be able to have a good retirement, the last part of their life, the one thing that prevents them from doing that is health, poor health. Yeah, right. this is this is fascinating to me, this whole lifespan versus health span, because the way I've sort of understood it is that our lifespan's increased over time, but our health span has actually come back. Is well, that right? Yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, yes, our health span technically has increased, okay. but it's mainly due to medication. Yeah. So people are living longer, but you could also ask, argue that people are dying longer. Yeah. Right, because their health span conks out early, yep. and then therefore their quality of life. I mean, you know, you'll know people that their existence mm. is simply get out of bed, you know, assistance to get out of bed, assistance to toilet, mm. assistance to get to the chair, assistance to eat, watch TV, have their medication, go to bed at the end of the day, get up and rinse and repeat. Now mm. they're alive, yeah, but we could argue that the quality of life is yep. not necessarily that flash, and that's they're the things that you can. Eliminate. So we'd, we've done a lot of work on, you know, looking at this whole area around longevity. Mm. And, you know, there are some things that we can do along the way to minimise the risk of those sorts of things. One thing you said there, you talked about the flow-on effects. And one thing I was just thinking is it's almost like it's a negative cycle, right? So if you get stressed, then things like, um, say we've just focused on one or two, so it's like sleep quality mm-hmm. probably decreases or it does decrease and weight management becomes harder. Now, both those things go on to then create more stress, right? So like if you are you know, struggling to lose weight or struggling to get quality sleep, both those things 
negate you getting rid of the stress, right? So it's almost like a terrible downward cycle that doesn't stop unless you have some sort of intervention. Would that be right? That's 100%, yes. It's a perpetual cycle. It just keeps going and it just keeps manifesting on itself and getting worse and worse and worse. And inevitably, you know, what tends to stop it is that people develop chronic illness and disease. So, you know, Long term, it's one of those main drivers of cancer. Long term, it's one of those main drivers of cardiovascular disease. I mean, you know, one of the things in a response to an acute stress is that our blood pressure goes up, our heart rate goes up so we can get away. Mm. And so, you know, one of the, the real chronic conditions that people are dealing with all the time in that chronic stress is high blood pressure and cardiovascular risk. Mm. And traditionally, when, some, when something like that happens, they would go to the doctor and they would get something to address the high blood pressure rather than stress. the lifestyle that's mm. causing the stress. Well, yeah, that's the way the system is. Mm. And it's not a criticism of it. It's just, it's just the way that it is, you know. Doctors train in medicine. Mm. Uh, yeah, this is, this is, the hard thing here is you don't really feel it. You know, I've talked to people that, well, oh, I don't even know if I'm stressed, you know, like... I think I maybe, maybe not. Like you don't really feel it, you know. It's not like you've got sore muscles, you know, after you've done a workout or anything like that. Like you, I, every now and then I can feel when I'm stressed that maybe I've stayed up a little bit later, but I'm a little bit more tired or a little bit more short. But is there, is there ways that people should be keeping an eye out for this that isn't going and getting a, you know, high blood pressure test or is there, is there ways to know whether you're stressed or not? Uh, yes, yes, there are, but you have to pay attention. I mean, mm. the, the problem is people, um, they normalise it. And so, as we said before, you know, they, they can have a really bad day and they're just tired and fatigued and they, you know, they're struggling to concentrate, stuck, mm. struggling to focus. And so one of the way, I mean, often people refer to it as burnout, mm. right, which is just another form of stress. But if you're noticing things are changing, if you're noticing that your concentration span, you know, from one point in the day to the next is really short. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're noticing that, you know, you're getting agitated quickly or your mm. mood is changing regularly, you know, you're getting angrier and your response is more aggressive than what it normally is. They're little markets mm. that tell would, would tell you that things are changing. And you're right, it's a it's one of those silent, silent yeah, yeah. long-term killers because yes. we because we normalize it. Because we're so busy, and that's the problem with people who are stressed, they're so busy they haven't got time to stop mm. and have a look. And often it's some form of event that stops them yep. on their tracks and then you can start to reflect on, well, hell, why? Why? I mean, you can deal with what the event is. It could be a cardiovascular one or a stroke, but then you can go back and look at, well, why? Yeah, that's just so fascinating. Like, you you know, because yeah, it makes sense. You don't just all of a sudden develop cancer one day or, or you get heart disease one day, you have a stroke one day. It's obviously that's the that's the outcome of years of um, of From our, twen- from our 20s, Tim. From our 20s. It, it starts in our 20s, yeah. And some of it's genetic, uh, and but some of it is a direct result of habits and lifestyle. Mm. So, you know, if you look at, look at cancer, we, we all have – uh, cancer genes, and mm. those genes uh, are mutated in some cases. And some of us can go through life without those genes then manifesting themselves uh, into cancer. Mm. And so it's the science of, it's called epigenetics, where we do things in terms of lifestyle generally that causes those genes to be expressed. And that's where the cancer in this case, in most cases, comes from. You know, or it can be hormonal shifts or, or it can be biochemical shifts uh, or microbiome shifts. You know, there's a combination of things. Yeah. 
And I think the biggest thing with human beings, and I think it's a flaw in us, is that the consequence is often too far removed from the action that stimulates it. You know, so like by the time you've, I don't want to say got cancer, but yeah, there's this extreme effects. You know, the 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 consequence of working a really busy day, you know, might just be that you're tired at night, you know, or that you don't get as much time to do your recreational activity in this week than you normally would. So there, and that's a minimal consequence in the terms of your ability to live your life in a healthy state, right? And it's not until, like you said, someone has an event and they go, "Holy shit!" Like I might not be able to live my life now, then they make the change, right? When the consequence and the action become really close together. Smoking is the best example. People smoke for their entire life, mm. you know, because there's no consequence for it. Every time you had a cigarette, you got smacked in the back of the head, <laughs> you know, you'd probably stop smoking, right? But the consequence is you don't, you know, you could smoke for 40 years and not have a consequence and all of a sudden both your lungs fail and you die. But if that happened on the first cigarette, you wouldn't do it. And I think maybe the same as with stress, right? The yeah. consequence well, is too far removed. Yes, and we just have to recognise recognise what those consequences are. Mm. You know, so they can be, as we we've talked about, you know, more inflammation, more soreness when you're getting out of bed. It may be that you're waking up in the morning and all of a sudden you're you're feeling anxious, or you've developed this headache or a or a migraine at certain times of the day or certain times of a month, uh, or it could be around. Uh, sensitivities to food that you normally w- wouldn't have had, yes. right? And they've just the new things that are going on within your system, and you have to pay attention to yeah, it. That's, yeah. that's the thing. And if you don't mm. pay attention, well, generally the inevitability of it is that you're going to get whacked somewhere down the line. Some people, if you're lucky enough, they can go all the way through to the end of their time, and you know they're happy. But for most of us. Uh, it will it will come and get us, and it's just all those little micro changes that are occurring collectively that eventually then will go and spin off as something that will become a more significant. Yeah. That's why that chronic stress really just needs to be addressed. You just need to be aware that it exists. You need to understand what's happening. You know, we get people coming in and they're exercising well, they're fasting, they're eating well, but they simply can't lose weight. Yeah, and so the first question you go and ask them is. How much you time, how much downtime do you have in a day? They go, oh, I get downtime, you know, sort of around about eight or nine o'clock at night when the kids go to bed. Well, it's too late because, you see, your cortisol levels, you know, I just explained what happens with cortisol. Generally, cortisol, we start at the end of the day. Your cortisol level should be down, right? And your melatonin levels um, are up. Your melatonin is used to help you sleep. So when you go to bed at night, your cortisol levels uh, stay down through the night while the body goes through its repair and maintenance process and then starts to increase through the night. So around about 6 a.m. in the morning is where cortisol cortisol is the highest during the day. And that gives you that zing mm-hmm. to get out of bed and rip into the day and, and away you go. Now, if you've got issues going on and the body is re- using that cortisol to deal with inflammation or inflammatory issues during the night, there's that constant drip feed Mm. That occurs all the way through, right? And so your supply of cortisol is minimal. So you don't get that zing. You don't get that spike in the start of the day. Now, that's a big marker. Your sleep is a big marker that that your your, um, your physiology is starting to change. And then we go through the day where your cortisol levels stay up uh, and technically they should come down. Your melatonin levels... Um, at the start of, start of the day, when your cortisol's highest, your melatonin levels should be low. 
And we're going to talk about this a little bit when we do uh, the, the cold therapy because body temperature also runs on that circadian rhythm. Mm. So it has a bearing on what, what happens, um, you know, through that 24-hour cycle. So so that's 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 a big one. And mm. so most people think cortisol is the devil, yep. but in actual fact it's not. It's used, it's our anti-stress hormone, and it's really, really good for us until it's not. Mm. And when it's not is when it doesn't go through that daily cycle of highs and lows. It's when it stays up all day because of that stress response, because the first um, the first release, the chemical release from your adrenal adrenal glands is cortisol. So your adrenal glands makes a whole, has a responsibility. So your adrenal glands sit on top of your kidneys, right? So your kidneys sitting here, adrenal glands just sit on top. And they are responsible for regulating a lot of different uh, chemical reactions within the body. So um, when, you, when you have that stress response, cortisol is the number one release chemical that is released from your adrenals. They make that over priority over everything else. So priority over dopamine, priority over GABA, priority over progesterone, priority over estrogen, all of these other, vitamin D, all of these other things are really, really important. And guess what the chemical is that's required to make these things? What? Cholesterol. Yeah. And so what does the world do? It seems like every second doctor is trying to get us to lower our cholesterol. But cholesterol has a really, really important role within the system. That's another topic for another mm, day, cheaper, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but you see, what we, what we are tending to do is squashing our cholesterol levels down. 25% of our brain is cholesterol. And when you go sometimes on medication to reduce cholesterol, one of the consequences of that is changes to your brain chemistry, and that can result in things like dementia and Alzheimer's down the track. So, again, it's not a criticism. It's just part of how the mm. system works. But it's understanding that when we get into that chronic stress response and the body's constantly releasing cortisol and it'll pump pump that cortisol into your system, your pituitary puts it in there, adrenal glands putting it in there, all of those releases, until such time as it just becomes fatigued and it can't produce enough and then you're really in problem you know have problems so in terms of that stress response in terms of cortisol there is the high release of cortisol until you get to the point where the body can't produce enough and then we've got real issues where the body can't put enough cholesterol in because if we get inflammation in our system there's nothing to go and deal with it what i'm what i'm hearing here is we have to find ways to break that cycle of stress. We have to find ways to get out of that acute stress, sorry, out of the chronic sort of stress state so that our body can rest, it can digest, it can produce the hormones that we need it to be producing at the different times of day that need to be produced. Before we get into ways to do that, one 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 thing I've heard a little bit around, and it could be way off here, it could be wrong, but can you reframe the way you see a stressful situation or a stressful event? Or can you, if you choose to perceive stress in a positive way, say, does that can that impact the way what goes on physiologically and psychologically? So, just an example here is I remember being so we, we were up in in Japan and we were, some of the training we were doing. This is you know, 10, 12 years ago. Some of the training we were doing was just 
crazy. And, and um, you know, three hours just smashing each other on the field and everyone was down and stressed and annoyed. And we brought in this little thing where we just, we just, brief, we'd, we all reframed it. It was like, how good's this? This is, I love being here. I'm so glad we're doing this drill right now. And, and it sounded like a bit of a joke for a while, but genuinely it just changed the whole atmosphere and, and it changed the rest of the way we saw the season. And so we just changed the way we, we framed what was going on. Can you do that in work? Can you do that in a relationship? Can you do that in an, in an event? And yes, does it actually change your physiology and psychology? Yes, yes you can. And, uh, and I think, and I, I have to be honest, I don't, know the exact details around the psychology of that. But I know, for example, you, the, the way you frame it does have a bearing on how your body responds. Mm. Right. So the short answer is yes, but in order for you to be able to deal with that from uh, chronic stress, you need to re- be reframing it every hour of the day, yeah, yeah, every yeah. day. Yeah. And that in itself becomes problematic for yeah. people because – you only need to have a bad day and then bingo, it doesn't matter what, you know, it's a bit like self-talk, mm. you know. So, yes, you can self-talk yourself, but uh, at the end of the day, it's not actually going to, you know, if you've got negative thoughts in your head, uh, you can self-talk to yourself to say, you know, don't think about those negative thoughts, don't think about them. But what tends to happen from a psychological perspective is we think about them more. Yeah, yeah. And the best thing to do is to try and displace it. Yeah. All right? Yeah. So put something else in its place yep. and that's often a task of some sort or an action of some sort yep. that takes the focus away from the thing that's causing the stress. So you can, so it's, it's a back pocket tool for a specific event as a one-off, as a, as a way to may, may, maybe help manage the situation because we, we, the reality is we can't just avoid stress all the time in every aspect of our life. We're going to be up against stress and so potentially using it for those, you know, plugging it in for those little times that really... That's what Tim says at work when we're really busy, <laughs> when he's really busy. He's like, right, we love this, we love this. Let's yeah, yeah, this. Yeah. Well, that, that's right and, and it is, it's a good one. I mean, you know all the cliches around, you know, we've got to brace, we've got to, you know, attack the stress and it's a pleasure and all those sort of things, you know, which they're all fine. But at the end of the day, that'll only last for uh, for so long, you know. And yes, so, makes sense, makes complete so, sense. So, you know, you it's not so much you need to, you know, learn how to handle stress. You just have to, you have to diary into your day things that you know work for you to be able to take you out of that sympathetic response into the parasympathetic response, into that relaxing, calming response. That's that's the key. Yep. And for some people, it's just simply driving home from work with a pair of runners in their shoe uh, in their car, stopping at a park, and before they go home, getting out, putting their shoes on, walking briskly around the park or up a slight hill and down, and just dumping the mind. Mm. Right, and that's. Another skill, you know, the ability to be able to still the mind, to be able to take it away is, is, a, is a really, really critical skill to be able to learn to do that. Now, you just, there are ways of doing it and people often refer to it as some form of uh, mindfulness or meditation, but there are simple ways of doing this, mm. simple ways of learning it that don't require you sitting cross-legged legged on, the, you know, yeah. on a mat, you know, mm. with the incense burning. You know, it's very simple to do. 
Well, I think, you know, we've, we've, we've tagged people on long enough telling them how bad stress is. Like, you know, what are some practical ways that we can help navigate this? Because some of the stuff that you've been describing today, just, you, it sounds like you're describing my life, <laughs> to be honest. You know, well, it's like most people's lives. Getting home, home you know, yeah. when's my me time? It's like, well, when the kids have gone to bed and we've had dinner and we've cleaned up and I've just done that last email and I might get sort of, you know, 25 minutes before bed. And um, I was like, yep, that's me. So, you know, there's going to be people listening. And, and we see it all the time at OSU studio, right? People that come into the studio, that's a big factor for people is managing stress. And, you know, obviously we're trying to grow our footprint across New Zealand to, to help people do that. But there might be ways that we do offer, but there's also, you know, other ways as well. So what are some ways that people can navigate and avoid chronic stress? All right. So understand, we'll get into some guidance and advice around the habits that will take you out of that sympathetic and parasympathetic. So if I start at the most, the, the most very basic one, and anybody can do it, is breath work. Mm-hmm. All right? And so when you think about it, at the end of the day, that's the reason why everybody dies. We stop breathing. Right? So there are things that cause us to stop breathing, but that's why people die. We breathe twenty to 25,000 times a day, right? yet no one's ever told us or shown us, in most occasions, how to breathe. So it's the single most, most important function for life. And so understanding how to do, and there's a number of different breathing techniques, but the most obvious one is a, you know, a, the box breathing technique. Mm-hmm. But we should be learning to breathe more nasally than through our mouth. And I won't, again, it's another, another podcast, yes. but, but understanding the ratios between oxygen and carbon dioxide and what that does when we mouth breathe and as opposed to nasal breathing. Nasal breathing is the way we should be going through it. So simply breathing in through your nose slowly for the count of five, holding for the count of five and releasing it for the count of five. I'm doing it right now. All right, so (laughs) so, you're stressed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, doing that half a dozen times, that will start to just gradually bring down those biochemical changes uh, in the body. So it's a it's a great response. Holding your breath, and so again, I don't want to go into all the uh, you know the detail of the science, but everyone should be able to hold their breath from a nasal breath for forty five seconds. All right. If if you can't, then you need to train yourself to do it because that has an impact on your mitochondria. Uh, that has a, a mitochondrial growth uh, and the ability uh, of our mitochondria to be able to function correctly. Now, mitochondria are those little things inside cells, little furnaces inside cells that take glucose and fats and convert it into energy. Mm. So when we ha- as we get older, we have less and less mitochondria. Uh, and there's ways of developing more mitochondria that we're about to talk about in the next podcast. But, but basically... Learning how to hold your breath for that time and releasing it slowly. When you're breathing, making sure that you are, you you should be able to see your whole tummy, the lower part of your tummy, rise when you breathe in and it goes right down when you breathe out. So rather than just chest breathing, learning how to do it is is really, really, really critical. Mm. There is a great book, and I can't remember the author. Uh, James Nestor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Called Breathe. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it's a good read if anyone's interested in yeah. it. Yeah, and if you can't read then there's a, or you don't like reading as much, then there's a great podcast as well. Right, okay. just, just search James Nestor. Yeah, so that's, that's worth a look, right, yeah. and understanding it. So that's a very simple thing you can yeah. do. You can do that. You can do it, uh, you know, breathing every day. So mm. I would put it into my day probably five or six times a day. 
right? So getting habits in the morning. So getting up and understand that you've got a routine. Now, if I go back one step, your pre-sleep routine is vital. Mm. It's the one thing that you don't want to change. It doesn't matter what day of the week and where you sit, but you want to have a routine that is consistently done day after day after day, every day. And it starts by, you know, calming your system down before you go to bed, looking at what's happening with light, looking at what's happening, um, you know, with your food, making sure you're not exercising too close to the time you go to bed. It just elevates your, your inflammation and that will keep, keep your cortisol levels up. So there are things you can do all the way through the night. Getting up in the morning and having a simple routine in the morning. So it might be just doing the breath work or it might be stretching or it might be doing a cold immersion or part of a cold shower. Right? And we're going to talk about this. People don't like the cold showers, right? <laughs> uh, they don't like the cold immersion. I understand that. At the end of your hot shower, if you just turn the dial on to cold and put the palms of your hands under the cold, you will start to increase your mitochondria. It starts a different type uh, of process. Um, yeah, again, we don't go into too much detail, but just doing something like that will will put you into a shock mode, mm-hmm. right, and then bring you down, all right? If you want to sleep at night and you're using cold therapy, you do the, you do the cold, but you don't want to do it too much after 7 o'clock at night, uh, and then you might have something more like a warm bath or a hot shower or come in and have a, you know, a session, um, you know, in the sauna. We'll talk about that later on as well. That allows that that that's a parasympathetic system to kick in. Mm. So it works for some people, not everybody, but some people. And then and then habits during the day. So if you're sitting down working, you know, every hour for five minutes, and you know, everyone talks about this, but every hour for five minutes, just get up and walk around. If you are working at home, what tend people tend to do is they gravitate towards the kitchen. And there's something in that kitchen, um, you know, inside the fridge of the kitchen that just tends to pull people in. And so they go looking for food. That's in my house. Right. So you've got to go and find things that distract you. So the first thing you do is drink water. And that's just got to be one of those habits that you, you get into. And for a lot of people, drink water or... If you haven't done so already, go and brush your teeth. And just the, the chemical responses from brushing your teeth signals to the body that you've finished eating and often your hunger can go away. You know, So just little things like that. Um, exercise is critical. When you put your exercise in and how you do it. So if you are highly, highly stressed, the worst form of exercise you can do is high-intensity HIIT-type exercises because stress is often as a result uh, of inflammation, and that high-intensity uh, exercise will just elevate the level of cortisol and inflammation and all of those stress hormones that we referred to before. So being res- being responsible and smart about your type of exercise. You're almost better to come home if you had a really crappy day, a really stressful day, rather than going to the gym and smashing yourself, you're better off coming home, lying on the couch with a book, and just relaxing for half an hour. That's interesting because like a lot of people would say that that's a stress relief for them would yeah. be smashing yourself. You know, like, you know, we, we, we do yoga and Pilates classes and stuff in here and I'll hear some people after a class, they might be like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm more used to this sort of, you know, I'm here for stress or I'm here to relax a little bit, but I'm, but I'm more used to that sort of like, you know, 45 minutes sort of style, yeah, well, hit, which I, I, I do too. Like I enjoy that as well. 
but um, people would use would see that as a stress um, mitigation technique. You know, yeah. rather well, generally than, if you've got if you're stressed, you, you sleep poorly. Right, and so they go and smash themselves so that they're tired, so they believe yeah, it improves yeah. their sleep. Right, and that's it's a, it's a, just a myth, a myth, you know. So you just need to understand that understanding the science around the biology around how your body works is mm. that you simply don't want to keep elevating. You you, know, you do not want to be exercising, you know, two to three hours before you go to sleep at night. Yeah. All right, and and there's exercise and exercise. So you know, just lying on the floor at home and stretching, or you know, going for a walk, uh, just a you know a calming walk will give you far better returns if you are. And we're talking about highly highly stressed people mm. to not, you know, some people can respond well to a, you know, that high intensity exercise at the end of the day. But again, there's there's a lot of research around what's good and what's not, the timing of the day and the dosing and everything else. So exercise has a dose and a yep. suitability, like medication. So if you get the dose wrong, then consequences will follow. Well, that, I've noticed that. So I've got this wearable. It's called Whoop. Um, I started wearing it about three months ago, and that, we're going to do a podcast. I put total podcast on wearables and how it has brought this stuff more to our attention. But that's been the big one for me because I was I was training at night and I'd see my sleep quality was it was nowhere near as good as when I was training in the morning mm-hmm. and just sort of setting that circadian rhythm early in the day. Um, but yeah, training at night was a big part of that breath work too, just noticing what happens to my heart rate, seeing what happens to my heart rate variability when I'm building regular breath work in, um, what happens within an ice bath. Like the wearable for me has actually just shown me, it's just, it's, there's nowhere to hide from it. You can sort of see exactly what's going on. Um, when I've, when I've sauntered late at night, how much my sleep quality increases, it's actually incredible. Hmm. Um, and, yeah, so that, that's been really beneficial for me is actually seeing it. I, I've never been a tracker of things. I actually don't like it. I, I, I had an Apple Watch for a while and I hated the thought of wearing my Apple Watch while I sleep and, and seeing what my sleep quality was like in the morning, whereas now it's sort of, it's almost like, you know, it, it's 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 made me change my behaviour, I suppose, is what yeah. I'm saying. I think the technology is getting better. The initial stuff was pretty... Yeah pretty substandard, but I think, that, you know, the level of technology is improving. So you are getting some good biomarkers of what's going on. And if that's a motivation for you, brilliant. Yeah. You know, that prompts you to make some changes, you know, brilliant. And just, just on the sauna at night. So for some people, having a sauna later at night before bed can improve sleep. Mm. But again, to sleep well, your body at night needs to drop in temperature mm. by about one to three degrees over a period of a night. Mm. And so, you know, if you're having a if you're having a sauna at night, that can elevate your temperature, which means that you've got to come a long way down. Now, having a sauna can also release some of those um, uh, gabinergic uh, chemicals that stimulate the brain and stimulate the mind. And mm. so for some people that can that can wire them up. Yeah, yeah got yeah. Right. So you just you just it's not everyone's the same. So you just need to yeah, know, trial it out, see what works for you. And whether you use cold after heat or just use heat. Yeah. Um, you know, there there are, you know, everyone's different. I know a lot of people when you feel like you've had a bad day, you just want to go home and have a drink. You know, like that's just a very stereotypical open a beer pour a wine, sit on the couch, is that beneficial or counterproductive? It's 100% counterproductive. Um, And what happens when you have 
alcohol, and you only have to have one glass. I just heard a heap of people say, damn it. Yeah, yeah, I know. It is a bit of a bugger because, I mean, what, what happens is people think, well, it helps me relax and go to sleep. But you see, in that non-REM sleep at the front part of your sleep, you go into stage one, two, three, and four. So stage two is just that very basic sleep. It's a bit like people who have sedatives or sleeping pills. They only go, they're unconscious. They're not actually asleep. That's, that's the reality. All right, and so they go into that stage two sleep. And so what happens is that not those non-REM functions, all of that restorative sleep doesn't occur. Mm. And so, yes, you'll go to sleep. You will not go into the deep restorative yep. sleep. You will wake up at some stage during the night, often to go to the toilet mm-hmm. or because uh, you're, you're transferring into that REM sleep, right? Yep. And the cortisol in your system as a result of the alcohol often can have an impact on the quality of sleep. So, again, it's a just one of those little myths that, you know, I have a glass of wine every night, helps me go to sleep. Well, I would imagine these people would break, wake up, and the, the two markers are, are you waking up mentally refreshed and ready to go and physically refreshed, ready to go? And if you're not, then you need to come back and have a look at your sleep routines and habits. Well, that, that for me, once again, is it's brought it front of mind. Like having, seeing my sleep quality decrease, especially if I have two drinks, like one drink to two drinks, my sleep quality decreases significantly. If I had anything more, if I have anything more than two drinks, my sleep quality just absolutely disappears. And you're right, sometimes I might have had the same amount of hours, but my um, my deep sleep and my REM sleep numbers are way down. And so my recovery is just, like, I actually can't believe it that it's showing me this. It's like, I didn't tell it that I had a drink last night. How yeah. does it know? Yeah, but that's it's right. because of my heart rate and because of my heart rate variability. Well, how do you know you've had good REM sleep, which is the last part of your sleep? Um, how do you know that? Uh, it's generally, it's because you've been in a dream state. Mm. And so if you wake up in the morning and you can't recall dreaming, then the quality of your second half of your sleep has been suboptimal. Interesting. That's really interesting. Because mm. I've, I've been, there's been a lot of nights where I'm like, I don't even think I dream anymore. <laughs> mm. Bloody O studio calls so me all the stress. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so it comes back, you know, to habits and routines and it's, and it's forming them. And, you know, you've just got to build them into your day. And we talked about, you know, putting shoes in and, you know, before you go home into the fire at home, you know, just mm. taking a few minutes to be able to bring yourself down. I know I've got clients who just, they'll, they'll drive on the way home and they'll stop around the corner yeah. and they'll put on some music or they'll get a book out and yeah. they'll, they'll just sit and look at it, you yeah. know, for 15 minutes before they then go home. Now, you ideally want to be able to run these things or they do a bit of exercise at lunchtime, mm-hmm. you know, or, um, you know, they might come come to likes of O for, a, you know, at lunchtime and, and get some support there. Um, you also know when you are stressed that you tend to gravitate towards highly processed foods mm-hmm. and sugary type foods. It's it's just one, one of those metabolic responses that the body goes to. So, again, that's one of those little markers and a little indicator. So if you're getting up in the morning and you're really, really hungry, that's giving you a bit of an indication around there's some changes going on in your yeah, system. That, that's the thing I probably found most interesting today because your question before, Maddie, I agreed with 100% until this, which was your question was, you know, you don't notice, you know, the impacts, you know, you don't notice the impacts on stress. It just manifests in something really d- d- serious over time. The, the, what I've heard today, though, is it's just that we're not really aware of it. Mm. Or we normalise it. Or we normalise it, exactly. Yeah. We, I should be feeling tired. Yeah. I should be feeling I've hungrier. Got a, I've got like, a busy job. This is normal. Yeah, yeah this is normal that kids, I want to yeah. just go and eat all those chips in the, in the cupboard, you know. Well, Three trumpets. Three trumpets. Yeah, it's a rite of passage for some people to be, you know, 
stressed. Yeah, it's like a badge know. of honour, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm busy. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. People, it just makes me you know, so furious when I hear people talking about that because, oh, I don't I only need three hours sleep a night. Well, <laughs> nobody survives on three hours sleep a night. No one survives on six or less hours sleep a night long term. Yeah. Because even though you might be able to be a high-functioning, sleep-deprived insomniac, eventually it's going to come and get you because yeah. all of the body's repair and maintenance, we keep coming back to sleep, re- occurs at night when we sleep. Yes. Uh, you also touched on something before. I think the key here is habits as well, isn't it? You know, you've got, to, it's, you've got to find a habit that fits within your routine that you enjoy doing that can sort of, you know, we see it here at Oast Studio, we'll see people come and they'll have a month, every month they'll come in for a float. They just, they've, they've got a recurring booking that they come once a month and that's what they do. And then they, in and around that, they may do some sort of breath work or some classes or whatever it is. But as you mentioned, it doesn't have to be a paid thing. It could be just stopping at a park you know, on the way home or, you know, having an alarm that pops up in your phone saying, you know, take get five up, deep get breaths. Yeah. Get up and walk. And mm. so it's it's little and often um, yeah, for, for long periods of time. And can I just make a comment too about, Sunlight, vitamin D. Yep. So one of the one of the things we just really need to be aware of is that we constantly need exposure to sunlight, ideally, unless you're going to go and supplement, which is not as effective. Um, but go and get sunlight to put the vitamin D into our system, which is a major, major driver of our immune system. So when we go out at lunchtime, and that's that's all we need to do in the middle of the day for 15 minutes with uh, our sleeves, our arms uncovered, no hat on, no sunglasses, because most of the uh, the ultraviolet light that creates the vitamin D goes through our, our pupils. Mm-hmm. So that is enough to to give us what we want, mm. right? And so doing that regularly, and, and it's hard in the winter, but making an effort to get up yep. and go outside, and you'll see when we do the cold uh, immersion, going outside and being prepared to be cold mm. for 10 minutes, not wrapping yourself up, has huge, huge benefits long-term, yeah. particularly getting us through the likes of those winter months. Yeah, interesting. Um, is stress contagious? <laughs> like, I know, I know it sounds like it's a cold or COVID or something, but, you know, like I just mean, like, yeah. um, obviously if someone walks into the room and they're really high-strung, you know, like you can tell and it affects the mood in the room, but is, is that possibly causing the same psychological benefits to the other people. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I don't think there's any research on it, but uh, there are stress carriers. There's no doubt about that. You know, these highly, highly strung people, there's a lot of them on social media, Mm -hmm. you know. So they wake up every morning and go, right, what can I find today that's going to really annoy me or get me upset, you know, and (laughs) away they go. Mm. They don't do that, I'm sure, but that's Mm. how much what their response is like. So, yep. It do. And so that's also an important part of it, you know. So when we look at our life, our life revolves around four environments. So in entire, your life, everybody outside the windows, everybody on the planet revolves around four environments. And the environments are home or family. Uh, it's work around our social and relationships and then our interests and beliefs. Mm-hmm. Right, so they are the four environments that we go now. Within those four environments, if you're ever trying to find out where your stress is centered, what's causing it, then you look at your four key priorities in life, and they are always the same. And people have unpacked this for years, and they they never can because they always come back to the same thing. And the four priorities that we have in life are health, good health, happiness, 
um, security and safety. Now, there are different definitions of all of those. So if you take happiness and take it into those four environments, are you happy in your family environment? Mm. If not, that might be a centre of focus. Are you happy in your work environment? Are you happy among your relationships? Have I got these stress carriers coming in all the time? Uh, or, you know, through my interests and beliefs, it could, so it could be sporting, could be cultural, could be religious, could be whatever, right? Mm. Are those environments influencing my happiness? And you do the same thing yeah, for yeah. health. Do the same thing as work healthy. Yeah. Am I safe and secure at work? Am I safe and secure in my relationships? So you go through and just pull the arrows across and you will very quickly understand which of those four environments, maybe more than one, is actually causing you some angst. Then you can garner some help if you want some to be able to sit down and start to work you through work through what what is going to be. If you identify your work as the main driver of your stress, then if you choose not to do anything about it, bingo. So that helps you go into those environments to start to set the habits. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. What's the difference yeah. between safety and security? Security. Um, I'm going to work. I know I've got security in my job. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm, I've got the job. It's a three-year contract. I'm going to have my three-year contract all the way through. Uh, I'm secure in terms of the, my financials. Uh, that's coming through. Safety is that I do not feel safe when oh, I yeah. go into this. So physically or emotionally got safe yeah. when I go into that area. Got yeah. So unsafe at home, unsafe at work, unsafe yes. within relationships. Or yeah, yeah. And it's pretty easy to work out what got unsafe yeah. at home looks yeah. like. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Unsafe in social it's environments. A cool, it's a cool framework. It's a it's a brilliant framework to to go and work out where your stress and your anxiety and those other issues actually um, originate from. Yeah. Wow. Can I just say? Yeah, no, I was going to ask you, is there anything else we need to know? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like yeah, we're maybe yeah, exactly. not smart enough to formulate the right question well, for you. So. I just want to say one thing. We talked about some of the solutions. One of the single best solutions, and it's a bit of a, um, yeah, it's a bit of a lead into where we're going next, but one of the single best solutions for stress management and moving yourself from that acute to the chronic state is using, understanding and how to use heat and cold. Mm. And I'll leave it with that. And hopefully that will prompt some to go and have a look at uh, the podcast that we're going to do on the next one on Ice Bath. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've got to, you know, people are going to end this episode probably with more questions and answers. So like, you know, we're obviously hugely grateful for your time. Where can people find you? And if they want to, you know, work with you or have a session with you or, you know, some way, you know, figure out how they can reduce stress or other elements of their life. Sure. Um, probably the, the best way to get in touch with me is to use my personal email, which is Pete at Anthem Pre, A-N-T-H-E-M, Anthem is the national anthem, pre, P-R-E dot com. So Pete at Anthem Pre dot com. If they send me uh, an email and they say they've come through your organisational podcast, I'll give them a 30-minute free consultation, no obligation, totally free, and I'll give them a bit of feedback on some of the things that they might want to cover off. So there's no no cost to it for that 30 minutes. It's fantastic. Like, one, I'm really excited about this podcast, um, but I'm also really excited to talk about it. There's so many topics that you touched on today that I'm like, look, I'm looking forward to doing it. So hopefully we can do this more. Hopefully we can do this um, because, you know, having people, like what we're trying to do here is make holistic wellness as understood, as accepted, and as practiced 
it's physical fitness. You know, we've touched on some of the stuff around physical fitness today being, you know, a lot of people thinking that's the, the solution to a lot of the stuff that isn't, you know, and so... Well, it's not the only solution. It's not, yeah, you know, it's yeah. really important, don't yeah. get me wrong, but there's, there's, whole other, there's, there's a whole other part out there around how you can support well-being. So I'm looking forward to, to drilling into a little bit more of this with sure. you over time. Yeah, and I personally, you know, you, I, you know, Tim alluded to at the start, you know, big fan of your work and you've helped me and my family and lots of different people. I've passed on to lots of different people over the years with, with everything, so I couldn't recommend you more. And, um, you know, as Tim said, we'd love to have you. There's probably four or five different things, that podcasts that come just out of this one. So, Pete Smith, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it, and thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the O Studio Podcast. If you like this podcast, there is one thing you can do to help us out, and that is to click the follow button wherever you are listening to this podcast. If you could do that for us, it would mean so much. Our purpose at O Studio is to make holistic wellness as accepted, as understood, and as practiced as physical fitness. If you want to join us on this journey, come and visit us at a location near you. Visit ostudio.co.nz for all the details. Own the moment.